This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via the iHeartRadio website and app, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Coming up on this week's program, our featured guest is Carlton footballer Jess Hosking. An in-depth 40-minute interview with her coming up soon. We also look into Coach Kiwi's crystal ball on the fortunes of the conference B-sides in the AFLW this year. Also on the way, a new segment, the Cider.co Question of the Week, and you can interact with us on that at wharfradio.com. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. All 14 AFLW sides participated in practice matches over the Australia Day long weekend. First of all, on the Saturday at Olympic Park Oval, it was a 14-point win to the Demons over the Magpies, 6-2-38 to 3-6-24. Down at VU Witten Oval on the Saturday, the Western Bulldogs, 8-11-59, accounted for Geelong, 7-5-47. At Icon Park, North Melbourne got off to a flying start before the Blues tried to reel them back in, but the Roos hung on for an 8 point win 8351 to 6743 up on the gold coast the suns 3624 went down to the saints 61046 over in wa adelaide 8452 defeated fremantle 5535 while on the sunday the gws giants 5737 easily accounted for brisbane just the three behind and at punt road oval richmond 7951 defeated the west coast Eagles 3-5-23. All sides have this weekend off as we count down to the season opener at Icon Park between Carlton and Richmond on Friday the 7th of February. Some news out of the practice matches when it comes to the Tribunal. Two charges were laid by the match review officer. They were against Fremantle star Kiara Bowers and Richmond recruit Lauren Tessariero. Both have been offered reprimands with an early guilty plea for rough conduct in their respective matches. Another blow at the Adelaide Crows. Adelaide winger Denny Van Hagen will miss the start of the AFLW season according to the women's.afl website with a knee injury. Uh, is she expected to be sidelined for about three to six weeks? They dodged a bullet at the Western Bulldogs. They were suspecting a serious hand injury to Ali Blackburn. It seems to be minor and it looks like she could be back out there for round one. Brisbane Lions star Jessica Wuchner is recovering at home after being struck by lightning while out on the job as a stevedore unloading ships at the docks in Brisbane just over a week ago. She's uh, missed out on a couple of training sessions, is taking it easy at home, but the Lions do hope for her to be available and ready for round one. And North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos have locked in a replacement for Jess Duffin, who will miss this season as she is pregnant and expecting in the middle of the year. And that is Melbourne University footballer Vivian Saad has been upgraded to their AFLW list. Congratulations to Vivian. 
say to our featured guest for this week. She's such a good footballer. There's two of her. Well, she's a twin, actually. She began her footy career playing high school girls football with Turak College Mount Eliza. From 2013 through to 2015, she played a handful of games with the Trobe University and the lower divisions of the then VWFL. And then things got serious when her and Sarah ended up signing to play on with the Seaford Tigerettes in the VFLW in 2016. Most recently of last year, she would end up running in the New York Marathon and she'd be nominated as a finalist for the Jim Steins Community Leadership Award. We speak of Carlton footballer Jess Hosking and she joins us on the line now. Jess, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Great to have you on the line and how are you looking forward to just being literally uh, counting down the sleeps to the 2020 AFLW season? Yeah, it's really good. We've um, we've just had our last practice match before round one over the weekend, so we've got a bit of downtime over this next, next weekend and then um, into round one on Friday night on the 7th. That big game against Richmond at Icon Park. But before we get to present day, let's rewind the clock back to when your footy career first began. Now, it's been documented that you played for Turak College, Mount Eliza. Was that your first taste of Aussie rules or was there a bit of Oz kick beforehand? No, we um, we used to play kick to kick in the backyard, but that was about as far as it went for us. So um, I think we had a couple of friends down at Oz kick and went down there um, or the boys down at, uh, might have been under 14s or something like that. And we asked if we could join in. And I said, you can join in for the training session, but can't play. And so we were pretty content with that and just went along and played netball. Um, but then when we get high school, had the chance to play a few games that I actually started up the footy team, um, at Jurat College. And we ended up playing against some of the other girls' schools around Victoria, um, and that was our first taste of footy. How often did you manage to get to play when you're playing high school girls football, considering we're talking a period here of pre-2013? So this is before the AFLW exhibition matches have come along. Yeah, so we had um, we actually had to choose a sport each term, and so um, footy got brought into term two, which was alongside netball. So we actually only played four or five games within the term um, and then only got to play the following year. So um, it wasn't many games, but it was good fun while it lasted. Prior to actually playing with the, the Turak College and high school girls football, as you mentioned, you were playing netball in a fairly competitive netball area down there on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, so we both means there used to play for um, Peninsula Waves and I guess it's the equivalent of the BFL level. Um, so we're playing in the B&L comp where we played up in the city every week. And um, I think we both popped up 10 years playing for Peninsula Waves. And um, at one point we were both playing uh, BFL and B&L in the same year. And it, it got a bit much and we had to pick one or the other. And before you came across to the Seaford Tiger Reds, you actually dabbled your hand a little bit in women's footy uh, from 2013 through to 2015 with Latrobe University, who are then playing in the Northwest Division and then the lower divisions of the VWFL. How does someone from living on the Bornington Peninsula end up playing for a club in Melbourne's northeastern suburbs? Uh, we actually had one of the girls uh, we went to school with um, who was a couple of years 
older than us. Um, she was going to uni out at La Trobe and um, she told us that she needed a few fillings uh, for one round. And so me and Sarah went along and filled in and played one game and then they kind of asked us to play a couple more and we loved it that much that we, every time we weren't playing netball, we weren't saying yes to playing footy. I believe it was you being tagged in a Facebook post that led you eventually going along to RF Miles Reserves and trying out with the Seaford Tigerettes. That's correct. We had our um, one of our sports teachers at school tagged us in it and at the time me and Sarah kind of looked at each other and said, that, oh, we've got nothing to lose by going and trying it. And so we went along and, yeah, they, they said down to our closest BFL club, which happens to be Seaford, um, and went down to Seaford the next week, and the rest is history. It was an interesting time, you going there to the Seaford Tigerettes. A lot of changes were going on. Prior to 2016, again, Seaford were typically a Division One, Division Two, a lower division side. They partied harder than they played harder. Um, and then in, in that year of 2016, they made the step up to the VFL women's competition along with uh, three other Division One sides. And also, the club expanded to four teams that year. How crazy was it with so many players around and this new state league team being formed? Well, we um, we were all training on the one oval, so I think that was kind of the hardest part, is that you had um, teams going from VFL level, um, down to Div 1, Div 2, and Div 3. Um, so I guess, ironically, you kind of had a lot of different skill levels. Um, so there was a fair few drills that we'd try and do together and then, yeah, trying to fit that many girls on the same oval does get pretty hard when you have to separate and do different drills. So um, it was a challenge, but it was one that they got through and um, I think the more the merrier, the fact that they were able to have four teams is just unbelievable anyway. Around April of that year, things started to get serious because yourself and Sarah got selected to play for Vic Country against Vic Metro as they started to prepare players for the AFLW. Was at this point that you start to sense of, oh, they're looking at us and this could be a possibility? Yeah, well, I think that game in particular, that was our first official, I guess, big game of footy that we didn't really know what we were getting into. Um, and we obviously were playing BFL that year, but when we did play that big game, we had a couple of the coaches and stuff from um, the other team come up to us after the game and um, was congratulating us on our game. So it wasn't really until then that we realised maybe we are or were on the radar of some people. Um, and again, it was just a game that we were enjoying and we were having fun playing. So we, we wanted to keep doing it. There's one game for the Seaford Tigerettes that uh, I really want to focus on. It's a game you were best on ground. Sunday, 15th of May, 2016 at RF Miles Reserve, the famous RF Miles Reserve. Yourself versus Diamond Creek. Now, (laughs) up until that point, of course, the VFLW was made up of the six original Premier Division sides and four teams that had come up from Division 1. Up to that point, the Division 1 sides had copped a bit of a hiding from the previous Premier Division teams. On that day, quarter time, your side is down by 25 points and then the wheels turn. What do you remember about that game? Well, 
Um, I'm trying to think. Is that is that the only time we beat Dymo? You beat Diamond oh, Creek by 14 points at, uh, at at your home ground. A four-goal second quarter to get within four points. And from there on, it was five goals five to two goals five. And you took the bickies by 14 points. You were best on ground. <laughs> yeah, I do slightly remember that game. Um, I think there's, again... Um, our team coming up from a different division, obviously going into um, going into that game, playing against Dymo, who are, who were a very established club and had a a, a lot of very well known players. Um, it was a little bit daunting, but um, yeah, I just I, I do remember we we kind of got the run on and how how good it was feeling out there. And that was probably the best we had played as a team since we had got down to the club. And I think everything was just gelling for us. And um, I think the biggest thing that came out of it was that everyone was actually enjoying their game and enjoying playing. And, and that showed like, we didn't have anyone niggling at anyone, but we were just enjoying it. And people were celebrating the little things that everyone else was doing. So it made it a really good game of footy for us and um, one that most of the girls will still remember. Does it blow your mind that you're playing in that game against future AFLW talent such as, this is playing for Diamond Creek, Christina <laughs> Bernardi, Steph Kiochi, Amelia Barton, now Millie Mullane, uh, Ali Downey was playing in the side, Shay Audley, Laura Attard, Laura corrigan Jeray, Lauren Moorcroft, Lisa Williams, Lauren Brazali. Yes quite funny um, you say that because I guess the first season of AFLW um, when we were all at Carlton um, we were talking about which clubs kind of dominated or which VFL clubs dominated AFL clubs in Diamond Creek were predominantly Carlton at the time so a lot of those girls that you just listed were actually drafted to Carlton so it's quite entertaining now um and when we go back and talk about those sort of games, um, and actually I reckon a, a couple of weeks ago that that one time that Seaford beat Dymo got brought up. So it's funny that you bring that up. <laughs> and of course, we should say with the Seaford Tigerettes, not only yourself and Sarah, but other AFLW talent playing in that game included, uh, you had Kate Gillespie-Jones, of course, who would be your teammate for a while at Carlton before moving on. Kim Ebb, who would end up going to uh, the Bulldogs and uh, not playing in that game, but another Seaford Tigerette that would play AFLW uh, a year at Collingwood and Georgia Walker. Yeah, yeah, there's still uh, four walks ended up retiring because of her... Um all the concussions and everything she got, but uh, played against Kate on the weekend in the practice match and had a good chat with her after the game too. I'm not sure if you saw the article uh, during the week by uh, a former Seaford player and coach on the men's side, uh, Paul Kennedy, actually talk about the sadness of uh, the old change rooms being knocked down at RF Miles Reserve. Uh, like him, <laughs> did you have a fondness for the facilities or at least the uh, <laughs> post-match shenanigans that happened uh, there in the old Seaford club rooms? Yeah, look, I think a couple of the um, premierships that were had at Seaford were definitely celebrated at those club rooms. Um, and any functions and everything after the weekend were held at those club rooms, club rooms from not only the women's footballers, but um, the footy netball and netball teams. So um, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of history that goes back there. Um, and it is 
that kind of goes within your country football netball clubs in the, at the small ground. Everyone would turn up and just pack the ground and you'd head into the club and ask them for a drink or a feed. Um, and so that's kind of the memory you have there. So it ended up being a very good fortnight for you because not only did you have that best on ground on Sunday, May 15th, and seven days later, Sunday, May 22nd, you'd be running out for the Melbourne Football Club in an AFLW exhibition match against a Queensland side wearing the Brisbane jumpers. You'd have 22 disposals on the MCG. What were your memories showing up that morning to get ready to pull on a Melbourne jumper and uh, run out into the G for the first time? Uh, I actually remember, um, I think it was my dad asked me um, how many people were on the field or he said something about how many players are actually on the field and I had no idea and it probably showed my naivety at the time of my knowledge of AFL or AFLW and the fact that I just swapped over from netball so didn't fully understand all the rules properly and um, not knowing how many players were actually on the ground was one of those. So um, that was probably the first memory of it. But I was I was just excited. I think it was a new opportunity for me. Um, I didn't know where it was going to take me. But um, I guess that at the time, playing in one of those exhibition matches was the top level that you could get. So I think coming from playing netball for over 15 years and taking 15 years to get to the level that I was at or maybe hitting 10 years to get to the level that I was at with netball it had all just happened within about a year of football um, so I was just excited for the game and um, we had a really good team and I didn't I didn't know everyone in the team but we had one or two um, sessions uh, that we all caught up beforehand and got to know everyone but I was just excited for the game. I look back at that, Jess Duffin that day, was then known as Jess Cameron, uh, kicked six goals. Uh, they named seven uh, players in Melbourne's best. Jess uh, Duffin, of course, clearly best with the, with the six goals. A, a future Western Bulldogs captain, Ali Blackburn, would be named in the best. Danielle Hardiman, who you'd played against because she played at Cranbourne, named in that uh, best. And your name comes before someone who kicks seven goals in a match in Brooke Lachlan. And your name also features before one player called Daisy Pierce. How do you feel to have your name in that company? Yeah, I think after the game, I didn't quite realise um, I guess how much of the ball I had, I had had that game or the impact I had in that game. And um, it probably wasn't until I had people coming up to me telling me the things I did and um, all that. All, all of that. It was just kind of surreal at the time that I was, I had one, been watching football since I was a kid and football being played on the MCG. So the fact that I was actually playing on the MCG that day was firstly incredible, but um, yeah, it was a, it was an unreal experience and, and to have had a game good enough to be put in the best, um, I guess, for my first game of football at that level was just unreal. There are the highs and lows of football. And about three weeks later, Sunday 12th of June, it's an afternoon, it's out at Sandringham. Trevor Barker, Beach Oval, I happened to be there that day calling the game. Um, it was yourself versus Knox. First quarter on the wing, the player goes down. I have to admit, I mistakenly called out Sarah's name, originally thinking Sarah went down with it, until obviously the train is cleared away and we could see it was yourself. 
what's going through your mind um, when they're taking you into the change rooms after this has happened? After, like again, you it had a fantastic May. What what was going through your mind? Yeah, I think um, at that point I knew I had done something, but to the extent I wasn't too sure. Um, it was that first bounce, and the ball got tapped down to me, and then I I took a step and completely collapsed. So. I knew being around netball, I've been around a lot of knee injuries and a lot of friends have done ACLs. So I knew um, kind of what I was looking out for. And I think Sarah came over to me at one point while I was on the ground and I just said to her, like, I've done my knee. I know I've done it because it was about a minute of pain and then just disappeared. And, um, yeah, from, from there I... I walked off the ground and then I told the trainers I wanted to go back on until we strapped my knee up and I ran and it was okay. And then one of the other trainers came over and said, oh, actually, we need to take the tape off. We'll test it out again. So they took the tape off, got me to do a dodge, and then my knee kind of collapsed. Um, but I ended up uh, fracturing the femur as well. So... I was in a little bit of pain and it wasn't until, I guess, that night um, that I pretty much almost confirmed it. I was jumped in the shower and turned to grab the shampoo and then um, twisted my knee and completely fell over. So I knew at that point I had done something pretty bad and, and then it was kind of... I didn't really think too much further down the track about football then and it wasn't until it was fully confirmed that I did my ACL um in the next couple of days that I kind of just said, oh, well, I guess that AFLW competition coming up, but it's not even in my side anymore. Um, and, yeah, that was kind of it. Heading into that draft, Sarah had actually got a, a number of phone calls from uh, different clubs uh, interested in her services. Uh, it was Carlton that would eventually take her early in the draft. Um, it started to get on in the draft a good hour or so. Your name hadn't been called out by that stage. Were there fears yeah. that you were going to be overlooked because of the knee? Um, we kind of had a couple of chats with Carlton um, beforehand and before the draft, and it was quite a while before the draft. So I was slightly put at ease with those conversations, but um, I guess you never really completely at ease until it goes through and so when Sarah's name got called it was just kind of a well waiting I had some rough idea where I was going to go and if I was going to go and um, so it wasn't until I got near that number that I started to get a bit more nervous and, and then once my name was read out it was kind of more relief. So you'd end up being picked up, but you'd be having to sit out the, the 2017 season due to the timing of the knee injury. And you also had some shoulder reconstruction surgery. Now, was that an injury gained during that time or was it just a case of they thought, well, if you're out for the season, let's clean up the shoulder at the same time so you're ready to go at 2018? Yeah, it was one of those things while I was out with my knee, um, well, I was in at the club and um, the doctors were going through my medical history, saw that I had had recurring um shoulder dissertations and so they got me on the medical table started fiddling with my shoulder and it popped out while they were fiddling with it and so um the, the doc at the time said well my husband's um, a shoulder surgeon so we're going to book you in in a week's time so I had that shoulder done and that was just 
it was kind of one of those things. I probably could have kept playing without it, would have had to have it um, done at some point. And it was just, I guess, ideal timing, considering I was already going to be out for that 12 months. 2017 season, you're having to sit it out. Bree Davies Bree starring on the field. Darcy Vessio staring, uh, starring on the field. But the interesting thing I note, doing a little bit of research, is apparently you got more fan mail than anyone during that first year, despite not pulling on the boots. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. Um, and I've copped a lot for it. But um, I guess while the girls were out training and, and doing things... Um, on the field, I was spending a lot of time with some, or with the fans and out at the Carlton days and all that sort of stuff. So I was going out and um, having a kick with some of the kids or just um, having a chat with them all. And so I guess that kind of shows the impact that you can have on um, the supporters and other people around football. Um, is it taking a tiny part or tiny time out of your day um, to go say hi or have a kick or something like that, uh, the impact it can have on these kids because there's a couple of them then turning up at some of our clinic days and they had number 11 and that's where Sarah was kind of like, how do they have my jumper number when I haven't even played? Finally, at 2018, you get to play your first game against Collingwood at Icon Park. I want two thoughts from you. One how did it feel for the first time for premiership points that you managed to get out there and run around for Carlton? And second of all, did you think you were jinxed when you came off the ground with a bloody nose courtesy of your own teammate after the match? <laughs> um, yeah, look, it was an unreal, unreal feeling actually being able to get out there. And I had actually torn my meniscus three weeks out from round one. So there was a bit of doubt whether or not I'd actually be able to play that round. Um, so it was a massive, massive height as to just getting out there, considering it had been over over 12 months, um, if not longer. Um, and so um, just being able to pull the jumper on and to at least feel like I was somewhat giving back to the club that had put so much faith in me. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I think I was one that maybe I was slightly disappointed at because I had hyped it up for myself so much that I maybe put a little bit of pressure on myself and how I wanted to perform and maybe carrying that injury, I didn't perform how I wanted to. Um, but at the same time, I, co I couldn't question, again, how much the club had put into me and I just wanted to get out there and ended up doing that. During your time at Carlton, you'd end up having two different coaches. Damien Keeping would take you for the first two seasons and you're now under your second season with Daniel Harford. Uh, if they both had a similar approach to the, what they want out of you as a footballer or is it uh, very different ideas? Um, no, I think they both, they both have a pretty similar um, approach. I guess I've just swapped positions um, mostly under um, Damo. I was looking at being a um, midfield player. Um, whereas under half I've kind of looked um, and been a backline player. So it's two very different positions, but um, both coaches brought different personalities and different aspects to their coaching that was that has helped me improve as a player. Um, and I think it's something that we've been able to base our coaching staff not only 
just half a game over having our assistant coaches um, and line coaches. And um, right now under Sal or Stephen Salatek, he's unbelievable and has been able to give me a lot to learn on. Um, obviously, learning a brand new position uh, at this level can be quite hard, but um, he's constantly got things for me to learn and same with half they're, they're both there and um, if I've ever got a question they're both very willing to help me and um, always have something for me to learn How did you process the end result of the 2019 season? It's obviously difficult to get to a grand final and not to come away with the cup but at the same time, your wooden spoon is the year before. So in another aspect, that's a huge leap from last to runners up. What do you take out of that 2019 year? I think, well, coming, like you said, coming from wooden spooners and then making the grand final, um, that in itself is a massive leap. I think the year before, um, when, we did, uh, when we did get the wooden spoon, we, we all knew we had so much more potential than what we um, did that season. And so last year, I think um, we were able to improve on a lot of things that happened that season and um, finally put into place structures that um, we knew were going to work and um, something for all of us just to be able to hit the grand final and then um, also to, I guess, be in front of that crowd of over 50,000. That's one of the biggest highlights for women's sport now. Um, and, yeah, it's something that we've taken into this season, knowing, I guess, where we finished on the ladder, but um, the fact that we've been able to work on, and I guess we still have things to work on, um, considering we didn't win the grand final, but we, it's an experience now that we can take into the hot level get the opportunity to play another grand final and if that comes we we now know how to approach it a little bit differently and hopefully that can help us don't go anywhere we'll have more of our interview with jess hosking including what she got up to through the off season and looking ahead to the 2020 aflw season right after this been playing for a while sweet kicks because footy makes you smile sweet kicks football if you're getting ready for the trials gotta go the extra mile sweet kicks football not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball need to develop your footwork or explosive speed want to take the next step in your footy career then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're currently chatting with Carlton AFLW star Jess Hosking. Before I return to On the Field Matters as we look ahead for the 2020 season, uh, quite a bit happened during the off-season for you. One of them, of course, was you were nominated for the 2019 Jim Steins Community Leadership Award, uh, particularly through your work across a number of charities, Interplus Australia, Clef Powell's Victoria, Red Dust, and your own charity in 
two boots. First of all, can you explain about your own charity and what did it mean to you to be nominated and to be highlighted on Brownlow Medal Night? Yeah, so I'll start with that last question first. That um, and being nominated for that award was something that I definitely did not expect. And um, I guess when I got the call from the club telling me that um, I'd been nominated and was then a finalist in that award. Um, I think I was just over the moon at the fact that those charities that um, I aligned with were getting the opportunity to have exposure and um, that they were potentially going to benefit from um, getting a some sort of prize out of this. So um, I think, yeah, I definitely don't do any of the things that I do or don't do any of the work with the charities that I do for accolades or anything like that. So... Um, yeah, I just I saw it as an opportunity that they were going to get a bit more exposure and potentially benefit from um, one e- either getting donations or that sort of thing. So, um, I guess going back to two boots, uh, I started that charity after going on a few of the red dust trips. The red dust do a lot of um, trips out to remote communities or remote indigenous communities across Northern Territory and throughout Australia. Um, and so while I was out there, I was running a footy session and um, I had a couple of kids stop after 10 minutes and I was like, oh, what's wrong? Why are you stopping? And they said, oh, my feet hurt. So I looked at their feet, they weren't wearing shoes. And so um, I thought to myself, well, I can maybe bring back a few pairs of shoes and see what we can do. Um, and so when I came back, I set up a few boot bins and got a fair few donations of boots and took them over on my next trip and had another or had these kids wearing the boots and then 20 minutes later they've stopped the session and said my feet hurt said oh what's wrong they said oh um i've got blisters from the boots and so i didn't realize that it was something i hadn't thought of that they'd need socks as well so came back got some socks and then took boots and socks over on the next one and then they finally got through a whole session of of the footy that i was taking so i realized that there was a need for boots and runners and socks and all that sort of stuff um, for these kids out in the communities. There's, um, a lot a lot of what they do is they just enjoy sport and want to play sport. And so I started my own charity for that. Let's talk about a little bit more work that you did uh, during the off-season, including while yourself and Sarah are enjoying holidays uh, throughout the USA on the West Coast and up to Canada, then across to uh, New York. Uh, first of all, you made a stop there in Vancouver and ended up having an impromptu training session with the then-Vancouver Vixens, now known as the Burnaby Eagles. We did. We um, One of the girls, actually, that played out at Seaford with us, uh, she was... Um, we had seen her posting some stuff that she was doing a few footy sessions over in Vancouver while she had been living there. And so me and Sarah knew that we were coming into pre-season while we were away on our holiday and um, had messaged them and said, look, we're happy to take a session or um, join in in the session if if you'd have us. And, um, yeah, just ended up contacting them on social media. and They came back to us and said they wanted us to come along for a session so we did a session with them and then um, went and had dinner with them later and then across to New York where you took on the 42 kilometre New York Marathon can you tell us of that experience as well as raising money there for uh, Interplast Australia yeah so neither me and Sarah or neither me or Sarah had run a marathon before um, I had done a half marathon in the lead up 
to the marathon and they're at best maybe done the 10K. Um, and so it was a new experience for us. I guess it was one of those bucket list items that we wanted to do and um, it got thrown to me about a year earlier um, to potentially do uh, the marathon to raise money for Interplus and they're one of the charities I work with and um, so we kind of thought we'd tick both off. We're doing it for a good cause and when we get to run a marathon, which most people wouldn't get excited about, but um, yeah, it was an opportunity for us to and we managed to raise about $10,000 for the charity too, so um, it was unbelievable. So let's return to AFLW for 2020. A big change there at the Blues, particularly through the midfield as well. Um, has there been a different philosophy on, on what you want out of the midfield this year? Because I know, for example, some of the outs, when we talk about Shay Audley, uh, Rennie Hicks and Tilly Lucas-Rod, they're your small-type, inside, tough midfielders. Has there been a different process in thinking about how you're moving the ball through the midfield this year? Um, I wouldn't say there's been a big difference in how we want to move the ball. Um, I think we we've shown that we can win win the ball in the middle and that um, we can win the contested ball. Um, so it was more about we knew that we could win it in there and then getting it out uh, for our run is what we're looking at. So we've been able to. I mean, we did lose Bree Davy, um, which is a big loss. In, midfield but um, and as you said Shay Audley's grunt and what she brings as a teammate is unbelievable as well so we've definitely lost uh, some unreal players and and they've got a lot of uh, potential and add so much to the team but in saying that we we also have been able to pick up a few young guns and um, what they also bring to the team is in very similar qualities to um, I guess the girls that we we have lost, um, and so we picked up Lucy McAvoy, um, who again is a midfielder, um, and she's got the ability like Maddie Presslarkis to just win the ball and somehow find it. Um, she can also play on the outside, so yeah, we've we've got um, some pretty good depth, which I think is something um, we've kind of always had. Um, and losing, like you said, Audley, Tilly, Lucas, Rod. Um, and a few others, we've yeah, we've been able to cover our cover our ground with that. Well, I guess the most pleasing thing out of that practice match that you had over the weekend was seeing Lucy McAvoy named amongst the best. And a player that's gone under the radar, except for those of us who watch VFLW, and named best on ground, which is surprising, particularly for a defender, uh, recruited out of the Western Bulldogs VFLW program for Mua Lofi. Yeah, Mua is... Um, is a one of our new players, and she's fitted in seamlessly. Um, she's been um, an unreal player to join me in the back line, and she's got um, incredible talent and has just fitted in so well. I'm excited to see a lot of her games. She's been working on um, the runoff halfback as well, which has been something she's been able to add to her game. Um, she managed to have an ACL as well, so uh, coming back from that, I think that's something that maybe um, some recruiters overlooked her because she was coming back from an injury or she sustained that injury. So, um, again, Carlton's been one of those clubs that will look at injuries and um, have the faith within players and have the ability to get the players back 
um, to some pretty good form. So I think um, they've shown the interest in Moore and um, have been able to put in the time and effort uh, to help her come back on track. And she's yeah having an unbelievable preseason. So she's definitely one to watch in the actual game. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on a couple of cross-coders that have joined uh, Carlton. First of all, Katie Harrison, who came from a rugby sevens background, like Chloe Dalton and Brooke Walker. And you've picked up your own Irish woman uh, in Joanne yeah. Doonan. Yeah, both Joe and Katie, uh, again, they're having really good pre-seasons. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing coming across from another sport is learning some of their skills. But both of them have been unbelievable. And Katie, while I'm sitting at training now, Katie's out on the ground practicing and kicking and marking. So um, there's no doubt about the amount of time and effort they're putting in to get um, their skills up to date and both of them have unbelievable skills and um, even Joe's speed and athleticism that she brings to the team like her her speed has been incredible and it's one of the things that um, as a Gaelic footballer um, that's what they pride themselves on is how quick they are and um, I guess their athleticism to run out a game um, as it's quite different um, to an AFL game, um, but they're just running laps around a lot of people in the pracky matches, so it's, it's good to see. And just looking ahead to the game with Richmond at Icon Park on Friday, February 7th, two notes on that. Um, first of all, how important has it been having Grace Egan in your side, a former Richmond VFLW footballer, obviously being able to give that little bit of intel on the players that you'll be up against uh, come uh, Friday week? Yeah, we're, we, um, I guess we've had, even with Richmond's um, cracky matches, we've gone down to a couple of them um, just to see what we're up against. And Grace has been able to give us a bit of inside scoop as well as um, Griff, who was an assistant coach or coach, BFL coach of um, Richmond last year. So um, we got a lot of inside goss from them. And um, I guess, it's like any team, they're going to change from year to year. But um, if we've got a few little things on each player, uh, it just makes it that tiny bit better for us to hopefully um, pick them and get over the line. And finally, this will actually be the third time as we head into Season 4 that Carlton will open the season and at Icon Park. How much of an advantage do you think that gives your side up against a Richmond team who are no doubt going to be full of nerves that this is their debut match and under the spotlight of a Friday night? If it's anything to go off, um, I guess, for Richmond, the fact that we were able to have that opening game in Season 1, I actually think the heart and um, the crowd that will be brought to that game um, will actually give them a good edge. Um, it's definitely something that our girls thrived off in that first season. Um, and I guess now that we're a little bit more relaxed and comfortable and um, we're all kind of known to the situation that we're going to be put in, I do think that it is something that Richmond might have that little advantage. It's, um, it's going to be that kind of baseline and they're all going to be hyped up uh, but in saying that, we're very lucky that the game's been put out at Icon Park. Obviously, we've played a lot more games here and um, we train here. So uh, I guess in that sense, we've got the advantage. But it's just a game of football and we're playing on another another oval. So 
I mean, you can put it down to certain advantages, but it is just football, so best team wins. And our final question, Jess, what does it mean to you personally if you sit down at a computer, you type in your name, and there it says, Jess Hosking, AFLW footballer? Um, I think I look back at where I was five, ten years ago um, and never would I have thought that I was going to be playing AFLW. I think um, I look at where football was back then and there, to me there was no pathway in football and nowhere to go um, at that point. So um, to be there or to be here now is something um, I hold very dearly and it's given me opportunities um, inside and outside football um, to help other people and other charities and all that sort of thing. So um, it's definitely something that um, it's, uh, yeah, one of, one of the best things in my life um, that I've been able to achieve so far. Well, Jess, thank you very much for being so generous with your time and we wish you all the best for this upcoming AFLW season and in particular, Friday, February 7th, when you take on Richmond in the season opener at Icon Park. No, thank you for having me. We have a new segment here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast called the Cited.co Question of the Week. Now, Cited is a new debate platform where you get points for adding your argument to a question. In fact, you can even get points for starting a debate. All the details are at Cited.co. And we'll have the specific debates around women's footy located on our website at warfradio.com. You just click on Question of the Week. And I'm kicking things off with why an AFL women's match, four premiership points being played in the United States of America makes sense. Now, in the opinion piece I wrote for worldfootynews.com, I refer back to June 24th last year when Jake Noel the Age broke a story about the GWS Giants with the support of financial backers floating an idea to Tourism Australia about an AFL men's match being played for premiership points in the United States. But I believe a women's match being played in late January, say just before Australia Day, has better promotional opportunities and makes more sense leading into round one of the AFL women's competition. My full thoughts are at worldfootynews.com and I'll also include the link to our debate under question of the week at warfradio.com. Do you believe there should be an AFL women's match for premiership points being played in the United States next year? Last week on the podcast, we took a look at Conference A teams for the AFLW 2020 season and Coach Kiwi Lisa Roper looked into her crystal ball and decided if a side was likely or unlikely to make it through to the finals. The top three from each conference do progress on to the post-season stage and we've got Coach Kiwi back again. Taking our look now at Conference B and the seven teams there and uh, who will make it through to the finals. Let's start at the start by looking at a team that lost in the grand final last year. In fact, everyone was surprised they made it through to the grand final after being wooden spooners the year before. Uh, Beneficiaries of the conference system, we talk of the Carlton Football Club. There was one big out for them. (laughs) <laughs> to say the least, during the um, off-season and trade period. That was the captain, Brianna Davey, 
left and went for Collingwood. They also lost Rhiannon Watt to an expansion team, St Kilda. Tilly Lucas-Rod was delisted, then picked up by St Kilda. Uh, also, Kennedy delisted. Renee Hicks delisted. Shea Audley delisted, which surprised me. Kirby Bentley delisted. Webb was delisted. And Mullane was uh, put down as retirement, going off to start a family. In for Carlton, they have managed to uh, pick up, first of all, uh, Doonan out of uh, Gaelic football, Harrison out of Rugby Sevens, and then recruited the following players. Lucy McAvoy, pick number two, who everyone thought would have gone pick number one, but she nominated for Melbourne Metro only. Newton went one, McAvoy went two. Um, Vernon. Uh, pick number 26, Shani Whiting out of Williamstown at 36, Serena Gibbs out of um, Hawthorne and Eastern Rangers at 44, Vamua uh, Lalofi out of the Western Bulldogs at 52, Jones at 59, and uh, also they pre-signed uh, Grace Egan, who went at pick 13, originally off the Richmond VFLW list. I look at the list there, Coach Kiwi, and I go, not bad. Some of the players they picked up, particularly McAvoy is the one that stands out. But for some of the quality they delisted and the one that went out to Collingwood, Brianna Davey, ouch, ouch, ouch for the Carlton Blues. I cannot see them not only making a grand final, but I can't see them making the finals. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, you know, it's, they've got some good players in there. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, to have, you know, they've got their good players are... are you, you know, like your Darcy Vecchio's or your Taylor Harris's down in the forward line. But they need someone to feed them. And um, I don't think that they've got... Their recruits are good. I just don't think they've got enough of an edge to what they lost, I'm afraid. I just think three days you just bring something um, on another level to the team. And I think that is just such a huge out for them. Um, I'm excited to see Moore back. Uh, she had a pretty solid... BFL season with the Bulldogs and she'll be exciting, you know, in their back line. But yeah, I just think um, the Bree Davies exit is just going to be a big hole. And there's one, I mean, when I look at players like, of course, Rhiannon Watt was a fair player, but when you look at Kennedy delisted, you go, gee, she's a, she was an okay footballer. Then you go, Renee Hicks, you go, yeah, good backline player. Then you go, Shay Orley, you go, geez, I thought Shay was at least worth another contract to go around again. Um, and Telly Lucas Rod, who was in and out, in and out, even though, you know, she was a decent footballer, you, you, you scratch your head going, okay, some of those other players they listed, you wouldn't call them the A-grade talent, but the good, decent footballers that just made the side click. And you think of the players coming in, that's going to take a while. There a number of them, excluding McAvoy, are VFLW talent players. We know that the depth of the Carlton side, particularly those that played for Carlton in the VFLW last year, struggled. They were at the lower end of the ladder. You look and you go, besides McAvoy going, where's the improvement coming from? Press Parkas is a great player, but now she has to take the midfield load. She's going to get the hard tag now because Bree Davey isn't there. You look around, you go, I can't find the solution. Like you said, who's going to feed the ball to Harris and Vessio? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't know if they, they're able to mould Chloe Dalton into one of those tough, solid, mid-tier-type players, and maybe there's Katie Harrison with the rugby background. Um, but, you know, I just, yeah, I just tend to agree that they, they did struggle in the VFL, and I start to think that the VFL is a bit of a prelude to what we're going to see in the AFL and um, 
you know, without Bree Davies driving that ball for them, I just don't think they're going to they're going to have enough. Unlikely. Unlikely to make the finals. Have our likely and unlikely guesses from that coach Kiwi. She stares into her crystal ball. We continue by looking at their arch rivals, uh, Collingwood. I should mention just quickly though, Carlton will have the opening game of the year against Richmond at Icon Park. Is that a wise thing to have that on Channel Seven as the opening game of the year, Richmond v Carlton at Icon Park? Yes, it draws in an oh, audience, look, but we there will know, be a big there'll be a big crowd anyway. Um, it, yeah. it, it pulls in a big audience, but Carlton, Carlton have won, but it's been in ordinary games when they've opened up on a Friday night. The curse of Carlton on a Friday night game. Yeah, and you know the first game, the nerves, the off season, or everything that goes into it. I wouldn't expect it to be anything particularly um, improved. Um, and, you know, and with Richmond also, most of them being brand new and on the big stage as well. Um, but anyway, fans are screaming for football and it'll generate a big crowd and I'm sure the atmosphere will be great. For the Collingwood Magpies, Carlton's arch rival in Conference B, and they lost Darcy Gartridge, which they were shattered about. Uh, she went off to St Kilda, the expansion team. Ilish Rush went off to Richmond, so they lost a couple of youngsters there. Jordan Memory was originally delisted, then picked back up again in the draft. They lost uh, Dutchie Kai. She was uh, deleted and then went off to St Kilda. Holly Whitford, when a problem comes along, you miss Whitford. She was delisted and then she went off to Richmond. Georgie Parker was delisted. Nicole Hildebrand was delisted and Cecilia McIntosh retired from AFLW but well, of course was last year playing with Essendon in the VFLW. The players they managed to pick up first of all, uh, Ashlyn Sheridan uh, from Gaelic Football, they managed to pick her up. They got uh, Bent, Bent Valzen out of uh, the Casey Demons. As we said earlier memory got uh, re-picked up. Uh, Lana Porter who played a handful of games with them, under 18 talent, picked up at pick 82. Ebony O'Day who was originally a GWS player, they picked up. Michaelia Roberts has moved down from the NT she was an NT Thunder player, very exciting footballer in fact she beat Collingwood in one game with a goal to seal the match uh, back in 2018. And then the last two players just casually the Carlton captain and Brianna Davey they picked up and off the inactive list Chloe Malloy what a lineup look um I don't know you, you can't not be excited with what they've got and um you know I, I had a little look at Michaela Roberts in the weekend and she was pretty exciting um you can definitely See that kind of indigenous style in her that, I don't know, I just get excited when I see those kind of players get out in the field and have a bit of flair and speed and um, that sort of trickery kind of skill. Um, having Chloe back, fantastic. You know, she's such a talented player. And then Brie Davies, how do you go past and in on that level? Um, you know, Ash Braz is another season stronger and wiser and she had an outstanding season in AFW last year. Um, I can say through the VFL, Shani is exciting. The, the amount of hours and training she's put in to improve. Um, and then Ashley Sheridan. Now, um, I remember watching her in the original cross-coder program, and I thought she was probably in the top four of the better players in there. So it's exciting to see her now over here and um, in playing the big league. She definitely got a few touches of the ball in the weekend and um, showed what she's definitely capable of. So I think they've got a fairly solid lineup. Um, Steve's experience in being around the VFL program, 
he um, I can sort of share, perhaps. But definitely, you know, he tried a few things through the VFL program with Penny to um, develop players for this AFLW season. So, um, you know, and they won the premiership. You can't sort of get a better prep than that, I guess. So um, I'd be excited to see um, Collingwood go well. And um, and I don't think there'll be anything like Collingwood of the past. I think you'll find them coming out firing and perhaps getting um, results very early on and um, making finals. We should mention some other players' names in there. Of course, Stacey Livingston, who won the Lisa Hardiman medal for best on ground in the VFLW Grand Final Defence. Shani Layton, who was a rookie last year, of course, uh, uh, doing very well for the VFLW Finals campaign in the ruck. And, of course, the one and only Jamie Lambert, who was tearing things up and uh, winning the goal-kicking award in the VFLW. Uh, I'll look at the side... Um, there is a little bit of worry. Of course, they missed out on the best, best youngsters available because they traded uh, all their early draft picks to Carlton to pick up Bree Davey. So that was a gamble, and that's going to sting them. They didn't get the best um, best youngsters out of the draft just gone past. We've seen a Collingwood side before with a lot of talent not get through to the finals, possibly the coaching and the games gone in the probably, early years. Go ahead. disagree. This tool, and yeah, they got they had the higher draft pick definitely, um, but they got Alana Porter, and I think she's um, probably one of the stronger under eighteen players from last year's VFL season and NAB League program. And um, just seeing her come along and really grow and evolve in that program and step up, she's got speed to burn, but she's got a great character about her that she really has a great work ethic as well. So for such a youngster, um, I think you'll find, you know, that's a pretty pretty solid get, um, even though they might have missed out on some of the higher numbers. Um, Jamie Lambert, now I think she's probably one of the, I don't know, like a, it's almost like the Casper of the league. Um, she's probably one of the most talented forwards in the competition. And you barely hear her name mentioned like you might mention Darcy Vessio or Katie Brennan or... Um, you know, other really well-known players. But something about Jamie Lambert, she's able to manufacture a real crafty goal out of nothing. And um, I think she probably contributed on the scoreboard for Collingwood last year. A lot of times that got them over the line where people perhaps didn't predict um, there was going to be a goal or thought there was, you know, a bad ball coming forward or something. She's just able to, I know she's like a little genius up there. She can, she can make magic happen, so... Yeah, I think they've got some really solid players and solid units, and they're coming coming into the competition with some really good form this season. As I mentioned during our VFLW broadcast, and particularly after Collingwood had won the grand final uh, last year, I mentioned in our post-grand final show, I go, it is hard to read the Collingwood VFLW Premiership because they had quite a number of their elite AFLW players playing in that game. Lambert, Malloy, Davey uh, as an example. Plus, they were topped up with some of the best under-18s talents going around. Porter was one of them. Lagoya was another. And I go, that's got you a premiership. How far did that win evolve their program? Particularly, the one thing I was critical of Collingwood the year before when they won the minor premiership then fell out of the finals, I said, yeah, AFLW talent got you there and got you out of trouble. But your VFLW talent or the depth of your list didn't stand up when games were on the line. 
this is the same question I ask of this Collingwood list. And when they won that VFL Premiership, I go, I reckon the AFLW talent and a couple of those under-18s got you over the line, but those players that are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, etc., a number of those players that are the back end, excluding the Malloys and Davies, I go, I don't think that core, that age group core at Collingwood has yet to make the step up to drive the team the next level. Yeah, that's a very interesting analysis. Um, I kind of think probably because I've been able to be inside that bubble and see some of them develop is a lot of the processes we use in the VFL we're building towards the AFLW season. Mm. Um, and I think um, watching externally the year before, I thought Collingwood played really solid VFL. And for some reason, things just, well, they just changed their structure or their style when they went into finals. And then they, you know, lost Chloe fairly, fairly early in that game and didn't seem to recover. Whereas I think last season... We didn't rely on a single player or a single couple of players. So I think, you know, as a team unit, they worked a lot better. And, um, you know, um, and probably with Penny, it was probably a little bit more experienced too and able to adjust um, adjust the games accordingly to the op- opponents we had. So um, I think I think the VFL season has just been a big development for the AFL this season for the Magpies. And definitely with Steve coming in, I think he's got new eyes and a new look and um, and he looks at the game a little bit different to perhaps what some Victorian coaches may look at the game. Might get a slap here because I'm an outsider saying <laughs> Um But, you know, Victorians are very clever at the way they look at the game, but I think sometimes when we're from other states, we look at it a little different, but perhaps um, on a wider scope perhaps. And, um, and, different, and we bring different experiences. I think that's what Steve is bringing is, a little bit of a different experience into the whole um, structure down there at Collingwood. So um, I think they'll be um, benefiting from how their VFL season went, and I think they'll go into this a lot stronger. And um, and I don't, I'm pretty certain they won't be. Um, I don't think they'll have that mental weight of how previous AFW seasons have gone. I think they'll look at this as a little bit of a new, um, a new chapter for them. Of course, uh, we should mention that the coach, uh, Stephen Simons, is a former Sanford W Premiership coach with Norwood. So likely or unlikely that the Magpies make the finals? Likely. Let's go across to the third team in uh, Conference B as we continue our look through in alphabetical order. We talk about the Fremantle Dockers, who, of course, made the semifinals last year under Trent Cooper for the first time, but then were humbled by Carlton at Icon Park. Mind you, they had a number of injuries coming into that game as well, which uh, brought them undone. For the Fremantle list, they've lost quite a number to the West Coast Eagles due to, of course, the expansion in AFLW. They lost... Hooker, Guard, Atkins, Laurie, Caulfield, Gibson, Green, Jantz and Davidson. And they delisted uh, Dowson, uh, McAuliffe and Moyes. They picked up the following. They picked up some Gaelic footballers through the Crosscoders program and Ty and Flood. They picked Road up from Netball. Mia Ray Clifford, they managed to get a former Geelong and Melbourne-listed AFLW footballer. They picked up the best young under-18 talent in WA in Roxy Roo, who won a premiership with the East Fremantle. They also picked up Strong, McMahon, 
O'Driscoll, Garston, Cuthbertston and Webb. It should be mentioned, though, that Anne McMahon will be missing out this AFLW season due to a broken fibula. Uh, that was after she was hit by an allegedly stolen car while on duty as a police officer. Yeah, I think that's a terrible, terrible incident, isn't it? Um, and I feel for her, um, without a doubt. Um, interesting, interesting lineup that they've got. I think they've probably lost some really good players that they perhaps haven't um, covered in their new recruits. So, um, yeah, I think they're probably in a little bit of a rebuilding phase. I think that's a fair call. Um, as much as you've got the experience there, such as Mia Ray Clifford, and as we said, the young talent by Roxy Rue. And they've still got, for example, the Antonios there, Ebony Antonio and her wife, as they were married during the year. Um, uh, Cara Danellen, she was known as, now known as Cara Antonio. Um, they've got the, the Kiara Bowers of the world there as well. So they've got some they've got some talent about. But like you said, they the players that they lost, like when you talk about the Hookers, the Caulfields, um, Gibson, uh, unfortunately Jans is out with an injury for West Coast. But the players they did lose to West Coast, again, uh, one or two are the A graders. The others you would actually call their B graders. And that's if you're ranking like A to E. And you'd say, right, they weren't the top level players but they were the next under, and they were very good. They were very solid. They're the core that you have as a team to support your A-graders. When they lost that core, that hurts. And that, and like you said, it takes a while to rebuild that type of strength. Yeah, it does. And I think, um, I think they're in a similar sort of position as Brisbane, where they've lost um, too many, really, you know, of that core. And, yeah, they've got some talent there, but they've got the young ones. It may just take a little bit to get the young ones really right up to the speed of AFLW and up to that um, intensity and, and, you know, be able to get used to it really quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just think, yeah, that they're just probably um, not going to really excel this year. Well, here's some names that stick out to me when I look through their list. Um, you got, as I mentioned earlier, Cara, uh, Kiara Bowers. You've got Taylor Breslin, who's been uh, solid in defence, uh, including representing WA over, what, the last five or six years. Uh, you've got names such as uh, known as Sabrina Duffy. You've got Evie Gooch. Alex Williams has been an underrated name for, for, for quite a while. You've got Stephanie Kane. Hayley Miller is a name that hardly anyone talks about. And yet Hayley Miller has been good year after year after year. Gabby O'Sullivan there as well. Um, Gemma Horton. You look, they've still got, they, like you said, they're in a similar situation to Brisbane. They've still got that or, or original core of eight or nine players from their first season. So it's difficult. They they lost they lost an even level of players, which just might knock them down a peg or two. The question is, though, uh, if you look through their fixture, do they have enough home games to bank at home to guarantee them to move to the next stage? They've got the Cats at home straight away. So that that game, maybe they could get one up there. Then they've got the West Coast Eagles um, in WA. That is a coin flip. Then they've got Collingwood at home. Depends on what type of Collingwood side show up. 
you would maybe suggest that's a win to Frio, so that might be two in the bank. Then um, the Dockers have got to travel to uh, Victoria to take on St Kilda. Um, that game could go either way because it's an expansion side. Then they've got the Brisbane Lions at home, so that could be a, a possibly a third win. They've got to travel then and play the Western Bulldogs. And then in round seven, uh, they play Melbourne at home. And finally in round eight, uh, Fremantle away at Carlton. So they've got... Uh, out of those games, maybe three that you could pencil in, flip-flopping a fourth and a fifth. So they've been knocked down a peg, but by no means are they in wooden spoon territory, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say they were a spoon team. Um, but, yeah, they're kind of also a team that struggled with some of the tough games too. And sometimes when it's been there for them to win, they haven't been able to lift that little bit to get the win. Um, and so, you know, they've got you know some tough games coming up. And it's, yeah, it's right. It's a matter of if they've got it on the day, um, they can put their pressure on. But the, the challenge with the AFW being that there's only eight rounds, you just have to step up every week. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know that they've got enough to step up consistently over enough teams to get the results to get to finals. Likely or unlikely that Fremantle make the finals? Unlikely. Don't go anywhere. Coach Kiwi is going to continue looking into her crystal ball with the Conference B teams right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You are listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. We go to the fourth team in Conference B. That is the Melbourne Football Club. And uh, outs are as follows. They lost Brank Adesano to Richmond. They lost Cat Phillips to St Kilda. Ashley Guest in a trade to the Western Bulldogs. Whitford went off to St Kilda. Jordan Hickey was delisted, then went to Gold Coast. Uh, they lost uh, Brooke Patterson, who's delisted and is now a coach for them. Uh, Talia Radden was delisted, then went off to West Coast. And Ashley Woodland was delisted. They have also lost... As we speak, Sarah Sloan and Catherine Smith are on the list, but ACLs have knocked out both of those uh, players for the season. Lauren Pierce is also coming back from a knee injury and may not be back to round three, four or five. Players they managed to pick up, they picked up Libby Birch from the Western Bulldogs. They picked up uh, two Gaelic footballers in McAvoy and Goldrick. Through the draft, they managed to pick up Parry Tarrant, Colvin and Petrevsky. And the other player on the list, have you heard of this name before? Daisy Pierce. Yeah, she got much experience. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just seven state league best and fairest. Just seven. Oh, look, you know, any any fan of football, I think, will be excited to see Daisy back, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't guess to be a Demons fan. Uh, she'll be huge for them. Definitely back in. They've, had, they've been walloped with injury um, and probably more how they overcome the um, gaps 
effects of those injuries would probably be their next challenge. Uh, I think they've got a couple of um, good players that's been running around at the moment training with them. So they probably should sign them and name them very soon. And um, and that will give them a huge boost. I'm sure it will give plenty of football fans a little bit more to be excited about at, at Demon's Way. Um, but yeah, a big loss for Smitty. I think it's... Um, but sad with you know, when you, anyone does an ACL, but have two out there in the preseason, boy, that's tough going. And we should mention another out as well, Bianca Jacobson, who, of course, has um, uh, stepped away from AFLW to focus on a police career. Yeah, big call, um, that is. But you know, that's, I guess part of the challenge we have is that we're only paying these players part-time wage so they have to um, build a career and you know make good somewhere else unfortunately so um, shared for demons and good on Bianca looking after her career Um, but yeah it's the way it goes I guess my concern with Melbourne, um, before I talk about Daisy Pearce and the impact that I think that she'll have, when you think of Jacobson, who has uh, stepped away for police career, losing the likes of uh, Catherine Smith and then, like, you know, the likes of uh, Whitford, Radden, etc., their back line over the last couple of years has started to weaken at Melbourne. They've always had a great midfield, and when Pearce comes back, they'll, of course, have Aliso Day, Karen Paxman in there, Lily Mithin. So their, their midfield will always have an engine room. Libby Birch will probably help them up on the forward line, plus some of the Gaelic footballers. My concern is their back line is starting to weaken. So for all the goals that they can generate, how much will get kicked against them? Yeah, that'd be something they'd be um, probably monitoring pretty closely. But having said that, they've probably got one of the more um, dominant, stronger midfields in the competition. So you'd expect perhaps um, the ball wouldn't get past that midfield as often as it may in other teams. Um, but yeah, I think I think they've got enough experience around the players to um, be able to give guidance to the to the to the defence line to um, you know perhaps stay organised and lift a little bit, but yeah, it, it will be definitely probably their weakest end of the field for the demons, and you know who knows that might be something they're particularly focusing on their preseason as well. My concerns around Daisy Pierce with her comeback. Uh, legends of the game never lose their touch. The skill will always be there. My concern is if she can keep up with the speed. And that's not just because she just had the last season or because she was pregnant. But prior to her pregnancy, she'd actually stepped back from her state league duties and playing in the VFLW. She's played very limited football over the last two and a half years. Uh, My question is, when she comes back, the touch will be there. Will the speed there to go still be there? Or... Will she fatigue as she comes near to the end of the season? Again, an elite athlete, fit, got the touch. But the question is, over the two and a half years that she's played little football, has the rest of the competition gone past her? Yeah, that's definitely a worry. Um, like, you know, like, if you, if you remember last season, last AFLW season, um, Karen Paxton was in a similar position. She had played a lot of football. Well, I think she played no football till winter, maybe one game. Um, and yeah, so she and she was able to come back in. And you know, I think I don't want to call her a freak, but she's one of these sort of gifted, talented players. Paxton was able to get back in and get her touch. And I think maybe um, 
Daisy will be something similar in, you know, I'm certain she's been out there and running quite a lot. Probably from the moment she um, had those twins, <laughs> she's probably been picking the ball up and kicking it around. If she wasn't already kicking it around while she was pregnant anyway. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it'll be interesting how she gets in first back. I didn't know how she went in the, tr- in the practice game. Does she have another practice game to get a touch uh, No, she, sure. she, she ended up sitting out the practice game along with Karen Paxman and ended up doing some training drills after the game. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. See, that's where I'd use those practice games to get the touch in. So, um, yeah, interesting if they've let us sit that out. I don't know what the reasons would be, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I just think perhaps... You know, these kind of players are just those ones that just got that something really special when they're able to just switch it on at the right moments. And, um, you know, I think Daisy, as you said, she's been seven times best and fairest. And um, you don't do that twice for no reason, let alone three times. And so she's done it seven and, you know, just shows something about her ability. So, you know, even though she's missed uh, all that time, I think she's probably still got enough to get back and um, be just as competitive with these youngsters coming through. Melbourne, likely or unlikely to make the finals? Well, I think they've um, probably been burnt enough the last two seasons by just missing out. I think they've probably learnt a bit. Um, and having their captain back, I'm going to say likely. Let's move to the St Kilda Football Club as we continue our look at Conference B. Um, for the Saints, it's a lot of shopping that they've done around to pick up players here, there and everywhere from the AFLW clubs as well as some of the VFLW and even the Sandfellw, which we'll touch on in a moment. They picked up Jess Sedenry out of Adelaide. They picked up Eleanor Brown out of uh, Carlton. Uh, Tilly Lucas-Rod out of Carlton. Kate Shearlaw, originally from Carlton, but also off their VFLW list. Rhiannon Watt out of Carlton. Alison Drennan out of North Melbourne. Uh, Nat Exxon out of Brisbane. Kate McCarthy out of Brisbane. Darcy Gunn out of Collingwood, Melissa Kyes out of Collingwood, Catherine Phillips out of Melbourne, Claudia Whitford out of Melbourne, uh, Courtney Munn out of North Melbourne, Selena Carlson from the Western Bulldogs, Emma Mackey from the Western Bulldogs, then Clara Fitzpatrick upgraded from their VFLW list along with the G train, Caitlin Greiser, Johnson, Kelly, O'Neill and Vesley all of their VFLW list. They picked up Van Bertok out of the Sandville W competition. And then under the under-18s, they got pre-signed McDonald and Shannon. Then they picked up Patrikios. There's been big wraps around Patrikios. They picked her up. Then they got Zenos out of uh, St Kilda. Uh, pardon me. Zenos, who will be playing for St Kilda, was originally playing Collingwood VFLW last year. They picked up White, Luke, uh, Hannah Priest, uh, Rosie Dillon as well. I look at the side. The funny thing is, when you look at it on paper, and like earlier when we talked about Freeman, with, oh, sorry, another side when we talked about there was no big names, you look at the Saints, and besides a Kate McCarthy, no real big name stands out at you. But then you think, this is Peter Searle putting a side together. And Peter Searle has been always been an advocate of one soldier down, the next soldier fits in. And if you've watched her VFLW sides over the last two years... They were all that way. When you looked at their foreline, you looked at their backline, you go, all right, you can unplug this player and put in this player, and you can unplug this player and put in this player. I, I think I think you've actually hit the nail on the head right there. Is, um, yep, they don't have a big name, 
but that can also be such a benefit in that exactly if one goes down they've got another one and you know the way Peter still coaches it's not so much this player or that player or that player. She really coaches a really good team unit and team style of, of play. So when you play St Kilda, you absolutely have to bring a full game plan to them. You can't just rely on a few key positions. You've um, really got to look all over the park. And, um, you know, she's got a pretty, she's got a whole list of very handy players um, who I'm, with, you know, without a doubt under her, I think she's going to just take another step up, uh, you know, and, you know, even even um, Kate Shearlaw, who was delisted from Carlton, I think is growing under um, Pete. I think you see another level of, of her as well, um, you know, and Kate McCarthy now, freedom out of Brisbane, she's, you know, finding a whole new environment and, um might have found it a little cold in winter and, and looking forward to these warm days. And, you know, I think we'll see a bit more of her and, um, you know, her run and carry kind of um, ability that she has. And, and, you know, the last couple of years, I think Nat Exxon is just growing and growing and growing. So she's going to be you know, a whole lot more stronger as well. So um, certainly I think St Kilda has recruited very, very well. For, um, probably, probably the strongest of the four new teams, um, even without people. When you look at their draftees, like Georgia Patricios, who was key in a couple of Essendon wins in the VFLW, one of those under-18 talents out of the quarter cannons. You look at uh, Zenos, who started to come into things as the finals went on for Collingwood in the VFLW. Tamara Luke, who took the, t- the step up with the captaincy at Hawthorne last year. Rosie Dillon, VFLW footballer at Hawthorne, who Patty Hill knows how good she is, and she just seems to keep getting under the radar and not given the respect that she deserves. You look at those players and you go, a few of them have an axe to grind. They're good footballers who haven't been given their due. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was actually surprised uh, the year previous that Tamara Luke didn't get picked up by someone. So I think she had a very solid VFL season. Um, you know, playing alongside some pretty handy AFLW forwards. Um, so it's good that she's been given that, you know, that um, opportunity now. Uh, um, absolutely, Zenoff is another one of these youngsters who grew and excelled through the VFL. Um, and I'm, I'm certain she will be able to step up AFLW, no problem. Um, Trickier, she was, she was great in NAB League and fantastic in the VFL. And she's another one, you know, who's just going to keep up as well. Um, I would also probably add Emma Mackey to the list. I reckon we haven't seen the best of her yet, and I reckon um, Pete's probably the coach that will get that out of her. I think she's got a lot of ability that, um, you know, that, she, that she's you know, have an opportunity now to show up on the big stage. So, um, you know, and having Patty there, he'll link those four form players that have done really well under him. That'll, you know, that, that's a huge plus for St Kilda as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say St Kilda are likely we're on the same thought train there. Let's have a look at the West Coast Eagles. Uh, of course, on episode three of our program, we chatted with Chantella Pereira, a former Hawthorne player and Lisa Hardman medalist who's now at the West Coast Eagles. If we have a look at some of the players that they brought in from Fremantle, Dowrick, Atkins, Caulfield, uh, Davidson, uh, Devlin. Uh, they also picked up Gibson, Green, Guard, Hooker, Jance, Laurie, Maguire, 
So quite a number of ex-Frio players now at the West Coast. Just going to give them a solid call to begin with. Then they picked up Maddie Collier from the GWS Giants. They picked up Emma Swanson from the GWS Giants. And Emma Swanson will be their captain. Kate Bartlett comes back to WA after a year at the Western Bulldogs, as well as Belinda Smith. Then they also managed to pick up Talia Radden, who was originally on the Melbourne and Adelaide lists. They also picked up uh, from the draft McDonald, so that's Sophie McDonald, uh, Cameron Tester, and uh, Ormi and Pereira was pick 101. Um, continuing the look through, they got Michaelia Bowen, uh, a star under 18 WA footballer as a pre-signing. Grace and Neve Kelly, Gallic footballers out of their cross-coders program. Carter out of Rugby Union. Uh, Bosna, Gil Pesnikori out of the WAFLW program. And Haley Bullis out of the Essendon VFLW program. You look at that list from the West Coast Eagles and you go, that is not a bad team. That is a solid core of what I call a couple of A-graders and B-list Fremantle footballers. So it's a good base to build with. Then you look at some of the Waffle and VFLW talent they're building around it, along with complemented by Bartlett, Smith, Swanson and Collier. And you go, that's almost a ready-made side. I would almost say that side was almost at Fremantle level in year one when Fremantle had the benefit of only being an 18 competition compared to a 14 team league? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think they've got a, they've got a great lineup and they've mixed it in with the experience of the older players and then some of the you know, youngsters that are coming through the Waffle program, the Waffle Academy. So, you know, I think the likes of having Cal Cohen and Dan Cooper on board who know those youngsters coming through, you know, in and out. And then obviously the Frio girls that have come across, that's a really solid lineup. Um, the Kelly sisters that I've heard are really quite talented Gaelic players. So that that space together as well will be a, a little bit special next month. I think the Gaelic players tend to connect very well on the field. So they have two that have grown up together and, you know, obviously sisters and played together will be able to, um, you know, hopefully they'll play similar positions on the field so they can link up and really excel. So I'm really excited to see how they go. Um, but, yeah, I think West Coast um, are going to have to run running. I think you know they're already perhaps a couple of steps ahead of where Frio are right now. So with the West Coast Eagles, the big question is, can they or can they not make the finals likely or unlikely? Their run, by the way, they have to play away against Collingwood, which will be no easy task and might get them off to a loss here in Melbourne. In round two, they've got the grudge match against Fremantle. So in my opinion, they could be one and one You go through to round three, the Eagles then have got to travel to GWS. So they could be on the negative side of the uh, ledger then depending on what GWS side shows up. By round four, they, they then have the Bulldogs at Leaderville Oval. They could be two and two at the halfway mark. Coming into round five, they then have to travel again and play Melbourne away. Again, they could be on the negative side of the equation. Come to round six, West Coast then play Gold Coast. They could be three and three by round six. Coming into round seven, they then play Carlton at Icon Park. Let's say that's a loss. It's a three and four. Um, then and by round eight, uh, they play uh, St. Kilda at uh, Mineral Resources Park. It's a tough call. I mean, I look at their fixture and I go, they've got a side that could make the finals. I don't think the fixture, though, is doing them any favours. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's an interesting one for them. You could also look at it on a positive way. Is that they start the season, they lose to Collingwood, then 
saying, here's the kick in the pants AFLW has started. So they'll bounce back the next week and dominate Frio. So then they get their run on and they carry it on. Perhaps, you know, GWS, you know, Emma and Maddie could give them some tips of um, what it's like to play in Sydney, but I'm predicting a draw in that game. Is an early call for you. <laughs> uh, they might get another wake-up call against the Demons, but I think that'll be enough to um, make them lift and, um, and get the wind out of the last couple of games. So, so they've got a couple of wake-up calls throughout the year that should keep them um, going forward and playing for their full potential. I think that's a bit key for them. West Coast Eagles' chances of making the finals likely or unlikely? I'm going to say likely. And finally, to the Western Bulldogs, they are the final team in Conference B. And out, they have lost uh, their co-captain, uh, Katie Brennan, went to Richmond, as well as Mon Conti. They lost Libby Birch in a trade to Melbourne. Tiana Ernst went to the Gold Coast. Selena Carlson went to St Kilda. Belinda Smith went to the West Coast Eagles, as well as Katie Bartlett. Ash Utry has been lost to hockey. Hayley Walters retired to focus on her career with Melbourne United uh, in a comms role there. Uh, Boyd and Davies has been delisted um, and Mackie went to St Kilda. Uh, Inns, they picked up through the father-daughter Isabella Grant at pick number 47 and I was told if it wasn't for a father-daughter, if it was a genuine open draft, she would have gone a lot, lot earlier. They then picked up the number one draft pick in Gabby Newton, Nell Morris Dalton, Gemma Lagoya, Georgia Stathis, Gutnick, Van Osterich, Munyard out of the Sandville W competition. Then Ashley Guest out of Melbourne. Then they picked up uh, Katie Heron from uh, Gaelic Football. And then the American, Danielle Marshall from uh, the Arizona Hawks. I tell you one thing. I look at the Western Bulldogs. I'm going to go on record now and say, I reckon they've picked up more talent than they've lost. Yeah, look, um, you know, I mean, Daniel Marshall, what an excitement she is. He can play anywhere on the field. Um, you know, I'm sure if you ask her to play as a small forward, she'd excel at that. Um, but still, for somebody who's not played football, she, you know, I, I watched her for, I think, three of her first four games. She was exciting. She just dominated whoever she went up against. Um, and so all the US AFL people listening, wow, be excited and, you know, tune into these games because Daniel is without a doubt going to be playing the players in America. Um, and then, you know, these young ones that they've picked up, it's no surprise they've got so much young talent. Nathan Burke was in charge of the big Metro under 18, so he knows these girls, he knows what they're capable of, he's got the connections, but he's already got, you know, probably two steps ahead working with this young talent than some of the others who have just, you know, drafted them. Um, so, yeah, perhaps they have recruited extraordinarily well um, for what for the players they've lost. Um, just probably experience might be the only thing that lets them down. Um, and getting them all to be playing um, a really high quality and good football that will show off their talent is probably the next challenge for Nathan on, at this level. Um, and I think the challenge is also going to be against the good teams like um, Melbourne, if Collingwood can continue their form, um, and West Coast. That'll be the challenge for them is to be able to stay in that top three. Um, you know, certainly they're a top four in that group without a doubt. So, it's, yeah, it's going to be tricky for them. 
The question, of course, will be, will Nathan Burke's coaching style at the Western Bulldogs work? As much as some have said, yes, he came out of the Vic Metro program, but you have to remember, Wayne Siegman came out of the Vic Metro program and took over Collingwood, and for whatever reason, it didn't work there. So maybe Nathan may have more success at the Western Bulldogs taking over from Paul Groves. But the one crucial thing I look at is they were runners-up in the VFLW. They made the grand final against the Pies without their elite six. Their best six footballers were not required for that finals campaign, and they got there. And then they've added some of the best under-18 talent going around to that list. I go, there is a lot of upside. Best under-18 talent, the elite six still to play. Combine that with a side that made the VFLW grand final. I think the Bulldogs are a smoky. Big smoky. Yeah, I think I think they are. And I think, you know what, Nathan may lack an experience in coaching at this level. He's got Debbie Lee on his team. Mm. So, you know, I think she would counter any deficiencies around around that kind of, um, you know, being able to step up, certainly. And um, and then, you know, for him, it's that advantage of knowing those youngsters. So, you know, and he's got some very, very um, experienced Older players with Lawrence Park, um, um, Ali Blackburn too. So, yeah, I think absolutely they're smoky. And if, um, if they can pull it together against, um, you know, they're going to get the results against the Giants and probably Hollywood. Um, so perhaps there's an opportunity to get the Demons too. So um, they're the three games. If I was Bulldogs, I'd be targeting them. I think the other ones they're going to win reasonably comfortably. What's mouth-watering is uh, their opening game of the season, Sunday, February 9th, they'll be live on Channel 7, um, is at RSCA Park against St Kilda. So we'll know a lot about both sides from that game. Yeah, what a game to start with. Um, and that, you know, I don't know, it could be tricky for either team, couldn't it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Coaching-wise, I probably think Pete would have the edge. Over, um, over Nathan, perhaps, but well, they're both bringing really exciting players, and um, oh, I don't know, it's just a game you don't want to miss, really, isn't it? <laughs> the Western Bulldogs likely or unlikely to make the finals? Oh, if I say likely, that four, they're in the top four, definitely. So, you're going to throw a likely in there. Let's talk about the three teams from Conference B that you think will make the finals. There's Carlton, Collingwood, Fremantle, Melbourne, St Kilda, West Coast Eagles and Western Bulldogs. Who are the three that progress to the postseason? Okay, that is a toughie. Demons, definitely. You'd, um, oh, you'd probably go West Coast and Bulldogs. Oh, no, Collingwood. Collingwood have got to be up there. They can continue that kind of form. Oh, that's four teams. That's a struggle. <laughs> Coach... Someone will have a draw if it's going to knock one out. <laughs> Coach Kiwi, thank you very much for looking into your crystal ball, and we look forward to catching up with you soon when you lay on your kiss of death for round one of the AFLW season. I look forward to it, and I hope I haven't already started by um, nominating who's likely to make the final.
it will be exciting. And that just about concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. The program airs first every Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the rsn.net.au website and the RSN Racing and Sport app. It's then available as a podcast via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and the iHeartRadio website and app. Don't forget our Cited.co question of the week. Should there be an AFL women's match played for premiership points next year in the United States? Vote on that at WARFradio.com and then click on question of the week. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash WARFradio, facebook.com forward slash WARFradio, and instagram.com forward slash WARFradio. ARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. It's bye for now.